0: Hello, and welcome to the Freestyle podcast series, bringing you real stories from those living with diabetes. We hear about the challenges they face and hope to provide some inspiration for living your best life. I'm Elizabeth Hughes, your host for this episode, and my guest, senior sensory worker for the Leeds Hearing and Sight Loss Service, Carl Proud. Carl was diagnosed with type 1 at the age of 10 in 1979 and has lived with a visual impairment since he was 30. Technology has been a game changer, giving him the bigger picture of managing his diabetes. And he's passionate about raising awareness of diabetes, inclusion and accessibility of technology. Please remember that before making any changes to your diabetes management, discuss these with your healthcare team first. Welcome to the Freestyle Podcast, Carl. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Let's start at the beginning. You were diagnosed quite young with type 1. What do you remember about your diagnosis and how did you and your family react?
1: I remember it actually quite clearly. I was thinking about this. It was a kind of accidental diagnosis. I think my mum had gone to see the GP and had just in passing mentioned that I'd been I'd been drinking everything in sight. So it's the late 70s and we had this fabulous drinks trolley and the drinks trolley was full of alcohol. Now I was only 10 so I didn't touch the alcohol. But I did touch every single mixer and I was drinking mixers. I was drinking milk and she mentioned this. He said, well, look, look, bring him in, brought me in. So I I sort of went in, did some sort of test and said, I think he's, I think he's probably diabetic. And the thing I remember so clearly is my mum had no idea what diabetes was and I had no idea what diabetes was. So we jumped in a cab and then headed to hospital and I was asking her questions. And I even remember that when we got out of the cab at the hospital, The taxi driver just said, oh, hope the kid's okay, and didn't charge my mum for the trip to the hospital. And then it was kind of a whirlwind of weirdness, really. I remember really clearly that I was taken in, and the two things I remember really well, one was practicing giving myself injections. So in those days, you had stainless steel and glass syringes, these horrific things, big chunky things in a blue box, and you... um. I practiced giving myself injections on an orange that sat next to my bed. And this orange sort of deteriorated over the next sort of four or five days as I was just getting used to this feel of injecting through the skin. And the other thing I remember really is those days you did this kind of bizarre chemistry test. I think they were called Clinitest tablets. You dropped them in a little test tube and it sort of foamed up and smelt really bad and then turned a color and you checked the color and that was how you checked what your glucose levels were. And I remember about 10 or 11 days of that and then back home with a whole load of kit and that was it. And really my family and I, I think we both dealt with it All of us dealt with it, not badly, but we weren't used to the idea of a chronic condition. So we were used to the idea of you were ill, then you got better. And suddenly we were dealing with this condition that doesn't work like that. And I'm not sure any of us really got our heads around it early on. I'm not sure. It probably took me a long time to really get my head around what was actually happening.
0: What were the things that in those early years changed the most for you?
1: I don't think I made the link in my head. I think it was quite disassociated from what I was doing physically. So injecting, taking tests, going and seeing diabetic clinicians. yet to sort of like mark up your test record. And I was really trying to deal with my diabetes in the way that I think my, I think very much my father had this idea of, and we were told this really, that you took insulin, you took an amount of carbohydrate and everything would be fine. And that was the simple process you had to do. And I think for years, I tried to do that. But I was completely disassociated with my body and what it was telling me. So my glucose levels were high and I was constantly thirsty. I was constantly feeling pretty rough at times. And I think it took me a good few years to kind of make the link that actually it was a condition you have to actually take much more notice of about what your life is like, not just a case of taking an injection, eating however many grams of carbohydrate, and then somehow it'll all work out okay.
0: I guess that takes. A bit of maturity as well as you get older to recognise that as well.
1: I hope so. I'm 52 now and I'm kind <laughs> of still waiting for the maturity to kick in. So, I mean, it's been 40 years. I know they say still learning, but I sometimes feel like I haven't even started.
0: So, you lost your sight 20 years ago. How does your visual impairment affect your day to day diabetes management?
1: Strangely enough, becoming visually impaired has actually made my diabetes management better. And I think the reason for that is that I may have been a pretty rubbish diabetic, but I make a pretty good visually impaired person. Being visually impaired is all about trying to work out clever workarounds for not having sight. And you lose the ability to do things casually. So when I travel, I have backups for backups for backups. So I've got a bag, which is Got a backup white cane. I've got a backup phone because I use a lot of technology on my phone. And I've got all this kind of kit that I use and I plan things much better now than I used to. I was very casual before. The way to do visually impairment, I think, is you break things down into smaller and smaller chunks. And you see the problems, you go, right. There's a problem. How am I going to get around it? How am I going to find the door? I'm going to get dropped off in a taxi here. How am I going to find the main door? What's my plan? And I think, in a strange way, 20 years ago, that kind of skill set also got translated across to my diabetes. And probably for the first time, I started taking active control, proper, real control.
0: So what I'm hearing, Carl, is that you've been diagnosed with diabetes, not been able to control it. And then you've got visual impairment and then found, actually, I've got workarounds with this. I can do this. And then you've been able to then translate that back onto your diabetes thing. Actually, if I can do it here, I can also do it with my diabetes. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. It was a strange thing to suddenly realise that you have skills you didn't have. And visual impairment sort of brings out these skills. We talk about it a lot in mental health with people who are visually impaired. So I run a mental health service and we talk about people going non-visual, thinking about their life, but not relying on their vision. So finding alternative ways of doing things. And that process has really helped allow me to take much more instinctive control of my type 1 diabetes.
0: What changes have you experienced in diabetes management through your 40 years of living with the condition?
1: Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's completely different now. Like I said, when I first started, you had stainless steel syringes And also, when you saw diabetic consultants, it was actually quite simplistic. The process was simplistic. There was not a lot of talk about your mental state. There was no talk about it. It wasn't really patient-centered. It's a completely different conversation now. Technology has changed. You went from stainless steel syringes to pens. Then you went from clinic test chemistry set results to a sort of like blood test monitoring. And then now, of course, you've you've got Libra. So... The technology has moved on, but the whole way you have a conversation about your diabetes is different. It's much more sort of patient focused, much more focused in on how you feel about how it's going, how your lifestyle works with your diabetes. I mean, you see this a lot of the time with visually impairment as well. You know, it's the how you have conversations with people. So when I'm working with clients, how you have those conversations it's all about people actually taking control, changing the way they do things so that they're not giving up control to, to the person next to them or the, their carer or their family or their consultant, that they take control at, at every stage. That's really the sort of like important aspect, I think, of being independent and being independent is, is so important.
0: We talk about being independent but we also know that for some support networks can be hugely significant for people with diabetes what does your support network look like and how does it help you
1: mine's dreadful i was was thinking about this mine's absolutely dreadful i rely so much on my wife as my support network annie is kind of my support network for this I have other people that are part of it. So I would say that another significant person would be my, actually my boss at work, Christina, who has allowed me in work to have those moans and complaints first thing in the morning about turning up at work with a, with a blood glucose level that's a little bit higher than it maybe it should be. But I don't have a wide support network. And interestingly, I don't for visually impairment as well. Even though I work in the area and I am always talking to clients about them developing their support network, I realize that I'm not very good at it myself. And it probably does me no favors at all, I think. And of course, the trouble is, you see, is that, If you're not careful, you rely so much on one or two people that they become carers. They change their relationship with you and they become carers rather than friends or family. And I think in some ways, being able to find different avenues for support is so important. And I am absolutely rubbish at doing it. Um, And that means that I tend to rely on one or two people. I am constantly hoping I'm going to change. I mean, the list of things would take us far too long to go on to, of the things I hope change. But I know that I've developed a wider network, certainly social media, online networks for my vision impairment. I have developed that very slowly over the last kind of few years. And it strikes me that I don't do that with my diabetes. And I wonder why that is. I wonder why I'm more than happy to kind of talk about vision impairment, but less happy to talk about my diabetes. And I think in a strange way, my diabetes feels way more personal to me than my vision impairment. My vision impairment is not so tied to my identity. It's a thing that I deal with. It's kind of a barrier sometimes to my identity coming out. And remember, of course, my vision impairment came on at 32 when my diabetes came on at 10. And I think there's such a substantial difference in the way you kind of manage those early years that I think now I can approach my vision impairment with a certain amount of maturity. So and probably allow myself to kind of be more open and talk to people about it, less so about my diabetes much less so but it's something I think would do me really good to change but I'm not going to promise you now there's no way I'm promising you now that I'm changing because there's a very good chance I won't
0: well I've got some good news for you Carl you're here today talking about your diabetes so there you go that's the first step on the ladder to it okay (laughs) okay (laughs) you're gonna take that
1: I'll take that I'll take that and we'll see what happens yeah
0: so you found that um, years of fingerprint um, testing caused you to lose the sensitivity in your fingertips, and so you weren't actually able to feel and to read the Braille. What difference has the Freestyle Libre 2 system made to your lifestyle?
1: I read very, very slowly with Braille because I don't have the sensitivity. I think the freestyle, it's like a jigsaw. Previously, I had sort of like random pieces of this jigsaw, and I kind of tried to put the picture together. The freestyle is completely different because I'm able to take fundamentally more tests and more regular tests at different times. You know, traveling, you've got no idea how messy it is being visually impaired and trying to do a blood test. It's a nightmare, you know, especially on a moving train. But being able to just sort of scan a sensor, you start to build up such a better picture of different times of the day. And from that, you're able to kind of put together an idea. You just get a better sense of what your diabetes is doing. You also obviously, you know, have graphs, which I can't read the graphs, but I can discuss them with people. I can sort of show them. You can get a sense of overnight and that makes a massive difference. There's less of those parts of the day where you're not sure what's going on. For years with first urine tests and then blood tests, there was a sense that you were always just playing catch up. You were getting a result that was actually to do with what had happened. And now it feels like you have a better idea of which direction you're heading in. It's an absolute game changer.
0: Thanks, Carl. We know a lot can change in 40 years. How have you seen the attitude change around diabetes?
1: Oh, it's changed so much mainly in the awareness with the awareness of type 2 diabetes now is so much greater so if i mention that i'm diabetic 40 years ago most of the time people had no idea of diabetes and didn't know anybody who was diabetic nowadays i mention diabetes and somebody will know someone else who's either developing diabetes who is trying to deal with type 2 diabetes is trying to change their lifestyle what that can mean, of course, is that there tends to be an assumption that your diabetes is type 2. And so there's a lack of awareness, I think, around type 1 diabetes. Also, there's still this sense when you go into it, if somebody does know a little bit about diabetes, about type 1 diabetes, they'll they'll speak of, again, the same idea that you take insulin, you eat carbohydrate, and everything's fine. As long as you don't eat sweets, sugar, and cakes, you'll absolutely be fine. and to know it's not like that, to know that it's, it's a juggling game a lot of the time, and things go wrong and happen, and sometimes you've just got to kind of go, I'm not sure what's happened here, but we're, we're back on track and, and let's keep on going. So there's much more awareness, but it's much more awareness of type 2 diabetes.
0: So there's been progress, but a lot more progress to be had.
1: Absolutely, there has been progress, but I think it's easy for people to fall into being judgmental without really an understanding of what's actually going on in somebody's life. I didn't control my diabetes very well in my younger years. I'm not sure now, even now, I make a great diabetic. You can spend a lot of time blaming yourself for that, about not being a good diabetic, and it's of no value, no help whatsoever. You need to be a little bit kind to yourself, and then know when it's time to get strict with yourself. And it'd be nice if the wider world could sometimes be a little bit kinder.
0: Great words. So your work at Leeds Hearing and Sight Loss Service is so essential for so many people. Just how important is inclusion and accessibility for visually impaired people in terms of diabetes management?
1: It's massively important. And to be honest, it's been lacking for quite a while. If you think about it, diabetic retinopathy is one of the most prevalent eye conditions that will cause somebody potentially to be certified either severely sight impaired or sight impaired. And, and people's vision can be absolutely massive variations on, on what people can see and the sort of prevalence of their own diabetic retinopathy. Therefore, you'd think that we would be developing medical equipment, we'd be developing diabetic care that was really accessible to people with vision impairments. But if you think about the way I have to deal with my infusion set, so I deal with a pump and I'm pressing buttons and hearing beeps. So I have to press multiple different buttons, get the right number of beeps, count beeps, and then have it do, hopefully, what I'm programming it to do, okay? I'm very good at that because Like I say, I learned to break down the problems of being visually impaired. But accessibility and inclusion is so important to constantly push for it to get better and better and better. Because without it, the diabetic will lose control of their diabetes. And that lack of control, I think, always produces worse outcomes. We need to get diabetics who have accessibility issues, we need to get them involved at an early stage when we're producing new tech. And especially because in visually impaired technology, there have been absolutely amazing strides since around 2006. A smartphone has become incredibly accessible and it's allowed us access to all kinds of incredibly sort of clever apps that really make a difference to our daily life. And what I'd love to see is that diabetic care followed that path so that we were able to Control our diabetes through this smart technology. And that I think would see us take way better control. And if you think about it, we're already dealing with people who are diabetic, who have a vision impairment. What we're looking for them to do now is to really take more control. We're looking for them to actually gain better control of their diabetes because they've already got issues from having their diabetes. We don't want any more issues to come their way. And that happens when people stay independent, stay in control and learn, and that technology is fantastic at.
0: What would be your top tips to anyone listening around being able to enable broader accessibility for people with visual impairments?
1: Top tips, and I'm going to say this, even though previously I've said I don't do very well with social networks, find other people who are dealing with it. Technology and accessibility can seem really daunting. And to be honest, it can be complicated and difficult. And the learning curve can be quite great. What you need to do is find other people who are managing with the technology. And there are loads of online resources that you can go to to talk to people who are visually impaired and diabetic and dealing with these kind of issues. They'll help you deal with the technology and the accessibility. And it will start to make sense to you. The really important reason for doing it is that as you get more confident, you'll be able to translate that confidence outwards to the people around you. And when you're then next dealing with your healthcare professional, whoever it is, they'll see your confidence. Because remember, a lot of healthcare professionals are underconfident about visual impairment. Visual impairment is something that can quite scare people, and they can have a really difficult time understanding how you could manage your life, how you can interact with the world without vision. So if you come to them, remember you're teaching them. That's the direction it's going in. You're standing in front of them and you're saying, look, I can do this. I can do this and that and the other thing. I can manage this. Now I need you to support me around my diabetes to bring it in to my new technical life. And that's what you're trying to do. You're projecting confidence to the people around you. And that's so important with vision impairment and it's so important with diabetes.
0: Well, that's all we have time for on this episode, Carl. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing you know, your own experiences.
1: It's been great. Thanks a
0: lot. And if you want more information about living with diabetes, then check out our fantastic education site, Freestyle Progress, where you can find the Freestyle Libre Academy tutorial videos, webinars, the rest of this podcast series and lots more. That's all online at progress.freestylediabetes.co.uk. Thanks for listening and see you next time.
1: The information provided is not intended to be used for medical diagnosis or treatment or as a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your physician or qualified health provider regarding your condition and appropriate medical treatment. Individual symptoms, situations, and circumstances may vary.